Do you feel that your life's changed a lot in the past couple of years? Um, yeah, I mean, I think life changes for everybody. Do you know what I mean? What would you say were the main things that have happened to change you? Um, well, that I put a record out, or you know, I went on tour, or, you know, I had a baby, I got married, I became 23. <laughs> I don't know. Just life. my brains all morning uh hi everybody uh welcome to i think you'd be into it uh the podcast about your problematic faves i'm your host brandon beck i'm your host beth scorzato and i'm honestly really glad you didn't do a bit because i think there's no way to do a bit that wouldn't have been offensive oh yeah 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 i i was like running through a whole cat catalog of bits i could do and it's like nope can't do that one can't do that one can't do that certainly can't do that one uh (laughs) So uh, y'all got y'all got saved uh, this this week. Um, Mark it on the calendar. Um, but joining us today um, to talk about Sinead O'Connor is uh, she's a comedian, writer, actor, uh, dear dear friend of mine, uh, Jordan Kurtzman. Jordan, welcome to the show. Hello. Welcome back to the show. Yes, welcome back. Last seen on the Smiths episode. Way back when we first started, I think. I'm trying to find it. Where yeah, it was. that was like a couple Januaries ago. Yeah, it was a couple years ago. Yeah. I think it was the second the second year we did it. It was before I started dating my boyfriend, so that was at least three years ago. It was our first episode of 2018. The Smiths episode, uh, episode 24. I think that might have still been in the pinup squirrel days. I think it was. Oh my God! Yes, R.I.P. you R.I.P. are right. Episode twenty-four, and this one's going to be episode ninety-four. So, holy you saw her, uh, crap! Quite a while ago. Yeah. Holy crap! Welcome back. Well, I was here talking about to talk about another musical weirdo. Another musical weirdo. Yes, <laughs> of a similar era. This one's a little bit later, but another, another, uh, another Irish, another Irish. Uh, problematic fave so very another very outspoken uh irish yes. person <laughs> yeah a lot of feelings about catholicism so mm-hmm. i mean that's fair who doesn't have a lot of feelings about catholicism we'll get into it but i think Sinead is very justified as we will we'll oh yeah out. yeah some oh, stuff yeah. happened <laughs> um but before we get into that uh let's get into a round of things we're into this week shall we um, if anybody has one that they're just dying to get to, rock and roll. But if not, I have one. I can't even remember what I did yesterday. <clears throat> oh God! Then I'll then I'll go first. Uh, um, I mean, I can talk about Ducktales again, but uh, it's it's ending, and I'm sad. <laughs> I'm not into that. What? Well, yeah. Well, why don't you talk about it then? I had one. No, I didn't end up watching oh. the episode, so I don't really oh, know fair. what yeah. happened. And it was only the first of three. No, I had one. I thought of one this morning that was like, perfect, I'll do that for the thing I'm into. And then I just immediately forgot it. I um, my Mine is that, so I finally caved and I watched Bridgerton. And um, I, 
It was, uh, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's good. But the thing that I can't get over is, like, the plot, I mean, spoilers, cover your ears, people, but, like, the plot really hinges on, like, one character finding out what jizz is. Yeah, kind of. (laughs) It just really, really hinges on her figuring out how babies are made. Yeah, she's like, the jizz makes the baby. And also, like, okay, so, like, they're having sex with the pull-out method. Does he just, like, jizz all over their mansion? Because there's, like, a... There's like a montage in one of the episodes where they're fuck everywhere. And I'm like, is he like pulling out and then just like squirting jizz on the floor? Is he just like. Yeah, it was the Regency Hera. They had servants for that. He had a little jizz boy that followed him around and cleaned all his jizz up behind him. I know. Yeah, it's so gross. (laughs) There's like this romantic scene where they're like, they like their wedding night. And she's like, and he just like comes like all over the sheets. And I'm like, do they just sleep in the gross wet cum sheets like no they wake a servant up at three in the morning and make them change the sheets for them yeah there's like this outdoor rainy like and he just fully like comes on the wet stone and i'm like this is gross and the thing is like this is adapted from a romance novel so you know that there is like description of this and i i don't want to read it because i know that the source material is not going to be to my taste, the way that the, the the show is, like I just I'm not gonna like it. I've read I've read some of the other ones. I've read the second one, which is about uh, Antony, the older brother. Uh, there's a whole series. There's a book for each. There's a book for each kid. It's by Julia Quinn. Yeah, I've heard that. I just don't really like. I don't. I just don't really like those kind of books. I yeah, I do. So I'm like, I absolutely do. They're very much my thing. But yeah, I'm like, I I'm just like, I don't want to read a description of the sex scene where he just like squirts man gravy on rock like that sounds so gross but um yeah that that exists somewhere so yeah anyway that's what i've been into recently it's just <laughs> wrapping my brain around this plot device in bridgerton which overall i really liked but that just uh it's it's really just about someone figuring out what cum is <laughs> yeah it is so. this everything i've heard about this show reminds me of that uh I can't remember the name of it. What was the name of that fucking wet and wild uh, Elizabethan movie with Olivia Coleman that won a bunch of Oscars that we saw a couple years ago? The favorite. The favorite. Yeah, it reminds me of, of that and just like, whoa, this is way more fucky than I was ever imagining. Wet and wild Elizabethan. I mean, most romance novels are. Um, True. It's not Jane Austen. No. Fair. Like, it's not, like, it's a, it's a romance novel. But it's also, like, I think that show does a really good job of making it not feel like a period. Like, it's not, like, a normal period piece. Like, they, they make it feel somewhat contemporary. No, it's not. Stylistically, was it was really interesting choices, design-wise. Like, they, they, like, the costumes were, like, sort of accurate, but not really. And the music was all over the place. They're pretty good, actually. But they jazzed it up a little bit. Like, the fabrics were not fabrics that they would normally use. Like, everything was, like, a little brighter and shinier. You know? The hair was, like, a little brighter and shinier. Oh, yeah. Some of them. The the family the family that, like, wears the really bright colors, though, that's actually, like, from the book. That's, like, actually a very specific plot point from the book. No, I, no, I know. But I mean, like, to the period was what I mean. Whereas opposed to like the, you know, very, which I love, but the BBC adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, 
It's very period accurate, but like it's also like eleven hours long. It's eleven hours long, and it's also like the costumes are not as bright, they're not as shiny, there aren't as many jewels. This show, it's like drag queen jewels. There are like there are rhinestones everywhere. Like there are updos. There's all this shit. Like no one's wearing the right underwear. Yeah, it's about the decadence. It's about the decadence, and it's about the way it makes you feel. And the whole point of it is like. It's the yeah, the whole point of it is like to indicate how the ton is all about appearances. Yes. And so it's like, you know, they're not wearing the right kind of corset, who gives a shit? It's not supposed to be accurate. Although I will say the extras costumes were not like every male extra had a Willy Wonka top hat on. Did you notice that? <laughs> well, that was the time. But none of the male like none of the male principals ever had those on. Yeah, because they're rogues. They don't wear hats. I guess. I was just like, none of the Bridgerton brothers. Like, literally, that's, that's that's I think, what it is. That's oh, what really? The okay. Is. I, like, that's, I was just, that's the implication. It just looked that, so like, goofy. I was just like, why are they walking past these Willy Wonka men and, like, everyone else gets to be hot and normal? Yeah, the implication is that they're, like, they're rogue. They're, like, roguish and hot because they're not wearing a hat. What will the Tawn think? Can we talk about how Anthony and Benedict are supposed to be, like, 23 and 25, and they're both obviously, like, 35? Actually, Anthony's supposed to be 29. Okay. The oldest. Yeah. I know Benedict is supposed to be, like, not in his 30s, though, and I was like, ah! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. No, they're supposed to be, like... At least at the start of his book, he's like twenty nine. Yeah. Um. And so they're supposed to be. She's sixteen, and like the older brothers are supposed to be like twenty nine, twenty seven, and like twenty three. Okay. Yeah, because I was just like, I was like, I feel like Benedict is maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah, he's, he seems he, a lot yeah. older than he's supposed to. But yeah, yeah. Anthony's supposed to be like 29. Anthony, I was like, okay, you're you're supposed to be like the patriarch. I get it. But yeah. Yeah. It's fine. So, so it's not quite it's not quite like when uh, Kevin Spacey played Bobby Darren as a 50 year old and an 18 year old. Yes. Wait, what? What movie is that from? Uh, Beyond the Sea. Um, oh, which, I forgot about that movie. Yeah, he played Bobby Darren for like most of his life, including when he was a teenager. And Spacey was probably in his fifties at that point. Um, also, Spacey's a rapist creep. But yeah, yeah, that's true. Damn. Well, two thousand four. I guess I missed it. I was too busy being in high school. So, <laughs> yeah, pretty same. much. Same. Yeah. Same. I I you either saw Beyond the Sea or uh, De Lovely. That you only had time to see one. Oh, my mom. Yeah, my mom. Uh, she was too busy watching and evangelizing about how wonderful The Lovely was. So The Lovely has a great soundtrack. Oh, uh, uh, we, we can we can argue about that another <laughs> not time. A, not a Cole Porter stan, I see. I like Cole Porter, but I don't like the like cover versions from the movie. You mean you don't like Elvis Costello singing like a vaudeville crooner? No, I don't. <laughs> I was like, I'd rather hear like Ella Fitzgerald than whatever the fuck this is. So <laughs> I was also, so I was a DJ on the college radio stations jazz show. Oh, on the jazz Ooh. show. Yeah, I was a DJ on the jazz show because I was that kind of pretentious. I, I, I never knew you were a jazz beau. Uh, when I was in college, I was a jazz beau, but they also needed someone to be on the jazz block. So mm. there were three of three of us on the jazz block. And one of them was this like total wanking idiot who loved 
Like, there was one guy who was, like, this, like, really pretentious but, like, true jazz nerd. And then there was this guy who, like, only liked the worst stuff. And one of the things he mm. consistently kept bringing in was the Delovely soundtrack. And I was <laughs> like, we are not playing this for our one listener who is, you know, sending us weird Yahoo messages. We are not playing this. That sounds awfully similar to my college radio experience. Yes. <laughs> Except I was the one listener. That's true. Yeah. And then when you had rehearsals, we had nobody. Pretty much. Um, so uh, the thing I'm into this week is the George Lucas talk show to go from something severely fucky to something that is just the full opposite of fucky. Um, oh, okay, sure. Well, no, they 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 constantly bring up that in some. Uh, oh, you mean like literally? I thought you meant being weird, and I was like, no, it's very weird. Yeah, no, no. George Lucas talk show is very weird, but it's it's not fucky to the point where like there was some quote with uh, from one of George Lucas's or from George Lucas's uh, first ex wife uh, where she called him sexually sexually unimaginative, and that comes up all the time. Um, but George Lucas talk show is, um, it started off as a show at UCB, uh, in New York, uh, with Connor Ratliff, who's a, uh, an actor and comedian. He's been on Miss Maisel. Uh, he's been on a, a bunch of stuff, um, where he would play George Lucas and his sidekick was originally someone playing Jar Jar, but then that guy moved to LA. So it became, uh, Griffin Newman, uh, who was Arthur on the tick, uh, playing Watto, the uh, as he calls him, the flying space Jew, um, and the uh, the show is just it's this like really like rambling deconstruction of of talk shows that's also somewhat of like an endurance test. Um, there when they first switched to doing it on Twitch last year, their first show was a a benefit for all of the UCB people that had just been laid off where they were going to watch all the star Wars movies in chronological story order, including uh, the new spinoffs, the Christmas special, the Ewoks movies and the droids uh, animated movies. And it went on for 30 hours. Um, and by the end of it, they both copped to just being like, broken shells um and so now uh three sundays out of the month they do a regular episode uh with you know uh comedy people and and musicians and stuff as as guests and then for the fourth one they'll do some sort of like massive uh like marathon rewatch like they've done they watched all of studio 60 they watched all of muppets tonight and they would bring on people that were involved to uh to talk about them which is which is really fascinating and, and leads to some cool discussions about shit that doesn't really get talked about all that much like the writing of muppets tonight or uh they or david lynch's weird sitcom um but the standard episodes their goal is to make uh, every episode one minute longer than the Irishman. Uh, so there's just <laughs> these like, uh, they call it the Irishman Plus, and they it's just this really weird, fascinating exercise in like, you know, slow comedy. 
Um, what is that one you like saying? That it's it's going to be over either right now or it's going to be four more hours. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There was there's one episode where uh, I think it was when it was a Christmas one where uh, John Hodgman was their guest and Hodgman's wife basically, you know, out of frame was like, "Hey, how much longer is this going to go?" And they were like, "It'll either be over in the next." They and they were in the middle of some like endless repeating bit, um, and he was like, "Yeah." this is either going to be over in 30 seconds or go on for another three hours. And I just kind of love that as a, as like a, a comedy philosophy for a show. Um, and like the, his characterization of George Lucas is, is really smart. Um, his Lucas is like just this weird old nerd who is like, well, can just talk to you about American graffiti or radio days or Radio Land Murders, um, or or his buddy Steve, uh, or his cameo in Beverly Hills Cop Three, and it's it's really it's a really like solid characterization of of a guy who is like it's hard to do a Lucas like his whole thing is that he's just kind of dull, <laughs> um, and and Griffin Newman as Watto is just unbelievably hilarious and spot on. Um, and is so committed to wearing this weird, like, blue leotard and clearly rubber banded on Watto nose for, like, hours and hours at a time. Often um, while eating. Well, while eating, yeah. I figured it, it out. Okay. So, it's actually, I'm also going back to something. Um, but it's also tied into your thing in that I was trying to explain uh, on our last episode why I was in why I was watching DC's Legends of Tomorrow, even though it's not good. Um, and I was I, I've now thought of how I can explain um, how okay. it's both good and terrible. And it's through the George Lucas episode. You've Ooh. reminded me. Oh, yeah. So I, I, I'm basically I'm going back. I'm, I'm copping out. I'm going back and I'm, I'm, I'm re-explaining something from last week. So, like, for example, oh, well, b- b- before you before you do that, uh, George Lucas talk show is on every Sunday uh, at five Western, eight Eastern uh, and then on uh, Planet Scum on Twitch. And then it uh, is on YouTube after that. For an for an Irishman plus chunk of your evening. <laughs> yeah, for an Irishman plus. Jesus. Yep. Well, it's usually like the the quote unquote episode proper is anywhere between like an hour fifteen and hour forty five, and then they go to the after show, which can be two or three or four hours. I long. see. Yeah, Irishman Plus is intimidating. Oh yeah, it it's it, it's the whole thing is very intimidating, but it's it's really good to just like put on as just kind of like background chatter. Mm. Uh, until you kind of get it has a very specific wavelength and once you get on it it's like these are my friends they live on my computer screen yeah basically it's very much one of those so uh uh, not doom patrol uh superhero squad no so okay so anyway dc legends so like part of why oh i'm probably gonna watch that this week um (laughs) i know myself um what are you named martha no, um, but that's Batman v Superman. Anyway, um, yeah, CMV. It, it's it, so to to go back and explain how this show is so perfectly stupid. For example, there's one episode where they go back in time to USC in like 1971, and they accidentally, by you know, showing up on a film set with a bunch of space people chasing them and like shooting it up, uh, scare a young George George Lucas out of film school, and then like the. 
historian on the ship because of like time like whatever if george lucas drops out of film school he doesn't make uh star wars and he doesn't make indiana jones so the inventor on the ship suddenly becomes stupid and the historian on the ship suddenly becomes stupid because they never saw those movies and got inspired to become an inventor and a historian and it's so dumb and it's so perfectly stupid It's just, and all of them, every single episode just revolves around like a bunch of fucking himbos in the time stream. And it's just, uh, I love a really good show. Like I don't require, that is what we are. I don't require a show to be good for it to be good is basically what I'm saying. And I'm still into DC's Legends of Tomorrow. You know, there are a lot of things that you can like that aren't really strictly good. Yeah, it's fine. It's not good in the traditional sense, but I enjoy yeah. it. The problem with when of, we record, there are a lot of things I enjoy that I know are basically trash. That's fine. Oh yeah. The thing with when we record a lot of episodes all at once is that I don't have time in between to like have consumed anything. So I'm just like, I don't, I don't know what I'm into. I'm, I'm into the same thing I was into yesterday. What are you talking about? The only thing I've the only thing I've done between yesterday and today is eat some Korean barbecue. It was yeah, great. and like literally all I've done is uh, think more and more about uh, sicko mode train Snowpiercer. That's true, you have. But anyway, speaking of things we're into, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so uh, speaking of uh, uh, old, speaking of sicko mode, yeah, speaking of sicko mode, uh, <laughs> I shit. don't know what that is. Going sicko mode on the Pope. Oh, going sicko mode on the Pope. All right. She went so... sicko mode on the Pope. She went sicko mode on that picture of the Pope, and everyone got so mad. No, no, no. We we, we don't have to start there. We're not going to... We, we won't start there, but it is interesting that that's what people think of, because... Um, so I, I, I guess I'll, I'll introduce, like, how I first... Yeah, how did you get into yeah. So I got into Sinead O'Connor, and really, like, I only like one of her albums, and it's because my mom had it on... A CD, and I was like, "Oh, what's this?" And I like started listening to it, and the album is her second album. I do not want what I haven't got, which I think is generally considered to be her best album. Um, came out in 1990 when she was 24 years old. Uh, her sec, her first album came out when she was 21. It's like some Kate Bush shit. Damn. Yeah, she yeah. was real young is the point I'm trying to make when she became really famous. Uh, as we know, that is generally not a good thing that happens for it to you to become famous nope. and successful when you're really young and don't have a strong base of, uh, don't have a, a healthy background, uh, you know. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a really good album, but let's, let's I'm going to introduce you a little bit to Sinead. Um, so uh, she was born in Ireland in 1966. Uh, Her parents are divorced and she lived with her father. Um, She accuses her parents of being abusive. Her siblings do not, do not agree with her account of their childhood. Oh, she's got five, five kids. She's one of five kids. She's the third of five kids. I mean, it was Ireland in the sixties. Yeah, it was Ireland in the sixties. You know, obviously like, you know, siblings can experience abuse differently so you know who is to say she wrote up in 1993 she wrote a letter in the irish times which she asked people to stop hurting her if i can only fight off the voices of my parents and get a sense of self-esteem then i'll really be able to sing or then i'll be able to really sing um and her um 
she said of her family, our family is very messed up. We can't communicate with each other. We are all in agony. I, for one, am in agony. So not not a great family beginning. What was Ireland in the 60s? Uh, well, it was in the, it was, you know, at this point she was like, you know, at the, when she released that, she was, she, it was the 70s because she was in her teens, really, when the, the, the things started to really, really go bad. So Fair. she got caught shoplifting when she was 15. And she got sent to what is known as a Magdalene Asylum. That doesn't sound ominous at all. No. So Magdalene Asylums, also known as Magdalene Laundries, were initially Protestant, but later mostly Roman Catholic institutions that operated in 18th to the late 20th centuries, meaning very recently to house oh, yeah. fallen women. Um, like, usually you would think it would be like, prostitutes but really it was just like no it was just really anybody that didn't fit the norm and was considered yeah basically i mean it's just like a women's were when women's asylums the entire history of women's asylums is just women who were nonconformist were sent away for being crazy yes exactly and so this was like it wasn't really a it wasn't even really an asylum so basically it was a it was an asylum but it was more of like a penitentiary workhouse <laughs> It gets worse. So yes, penitentiary workhouse and asylum um, run by a Catholic nun order. Uh, The strict regimes in these institutions, according to this Wikipedia article, were often more severe than those found in prisons. Um, And so it was, you know, meant to be rehabilitative. Obviously, you could say that it wasn't. Um, And they, the last one that ended was in 1996 in the world. And I believe that was in Ireland. So that was closed in 1996. It would so, be in Ireland, yeah. Yeah, um, unsurprisingly. Uh, so they, they were operated in the UK, Sweden, Canada, the United States, Australia, and Ireland. There was also um, kind of reminded me of a story. I know this is kind of a huge bummer, but there was um, a recent expose about the abuse at Catholic orphanages and again, those closed in like the late 90s. And it's like kind of a similar story where like, it was like, oh, we're rehabilitating these children from troubled backgrounds. And then it turned out that they were like, horribly abusive. So anyway, Sinead O'Connor gets sent to this place. It's not great. Um, but, uh, you know, she did end up getting some good stuff out of it. But I will say... Uh, she did have, uh, one thing that she mentions being bad. So unruly students there were sometimes sent to sleep in the adjoining nursing home. And she said of that, I have never, and probably will never experience such panic and terror and agony over anything. So, um, yeah. Uh, so I guess basically being made to sleep in a room full of creaky old people when you're a child for punishment is scary. Yeah, it's sick, sick old people, too. Yeah. Um, but sh- what happened is, so she's working slash living un- uh, voluntarily as a teenager at this weird Catholic juvie situation. And one of the volunteers there is a member of this Irish bo- rock band called Into Anua, which makes me laugh because there was a shitty dive bar near where I went to college called Antu Anua, which had a dollar miller high life night uh really close to the fenway um, <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, that is the most yeah. Boston sentence you have ever said. Dollar Miller High. Accurate. Yeah, it's accurate. I just remember like going and there were these like the most like towny people just grinding on each other, and I was like, "Yep, yep, I don't want to live here anymore." Um, <laughs> anyway, um, God, it's like you were just explaining the plot of the town. Yeah. Um. So she was singing the song. Evergreen by Barbara Streisand. I had to look it up because I was like, what is this song? And apparently it's the uh, theme song from the 1976 adaptation of A Star is Born, which I have never seen, but which I've heard is pretty bad. Um, oh, no, it's the one that goes, I'm off the deep end, watches I dive in. I guess. I don't know. Um and anyway, so this guy from this Irish rock band overheard her singing that, and he was like, hey, you've got a great voice. So she record- recorded a song with them. But then they're like, you're 15. You're too young to be in a band. And she was like, fuck you guys. So she puts an ad in the newspaper. She forms her, she own, band. her own band. Yep. Yes, she starts her own band. And then she starts going to school, and her band starts playing. Then she drops out of school. Then she ends up attracting the attention of a manager who actually got fired from being U2's manager because he complained about them in an interview, which I think is really funny. Because he talked shit about them in the press. It was really funny. Um, uh, And this was also, I guess, around the time that Sinead was like, I can say whatever I want. So she also praised the provisional IRA, which was I learned it from you, dad. Uh, yeah, yeah I learned like, it from you, manager dad. Cool, cool stuff. Good job, Sinead O'Connor. Um, and then she gets this assignment to provide the vocals for the song that is co-written with the U2's The Edge, and it's in a movie, and then she gets a record deal, and the record is The Lion and the Cobra, which is fine. It's not my favorite, but it's uh, it's like a big deal. It's a, It goes gold. She got no- Grammy nominations out of it and stuff. Yeah, she got Grammy nominations. It's the charts in the U.S. It's a big deal. And she's 21 years old. She's fucking 21 years old. Also... Wait, I do want to go back real quick just because a lot of we're about to get into when she starts saying some more wild shit. I do want to say of the IRA thing she did. I do know she did like later she did retract retract that and was like, yeah, I was too young to have any real understanding of the situation in Northern Ireland. And like that was really stupid for me to have said like like I just do want to be clear that some things she stood by, but some things she she's not the kind of person that has always been the person that's like, well, I said what I said, and I'm absolutely right all the time. She's walked things back when she was wrong, and she's definitely said that. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, and I also think like a lot of people who, um, yeah, she's she's not from Northern Ireland, so I think it's also she was like, I didn't know what I was talking about, so um yeah Yeah, she she didn't but you know what there are a lot of men that would never have (laughs) men specifically that would just would never have been like yeah i was wrong (laughs) she does admit when she's wrong but i also feel it's like she was 20 she was like what 20 21 yeah she was 21 of course she doesn't know what the fuck she's talking about yeah it's just like you know and so this is a time that then is that is referenced on the song emperor's new clothes which was one of two singles off of I do not want what I have not got. Um, and he thinks I just became famous and that's what messed mess me up. But he's wrong. How could I possibly know what I want when I was only 21? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So 
interesting. Maybe maybe becoming really famous um, on the back of being abused and fucked up was not great for her, you know, personally. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's like, you know, she's, she's clearly a pretty troubled person, um, you know, but she's also a very talented person. And so... You know, I think like one of the things that's very compelling to me about I do not want what I have not got is it's it is kind of like someone is it it does feel like kind of a reaction to becoming famous. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's where where we're going to we're going to get into that a little bit. So that one also has her famous cover of the Prince song, which really is what put her on the world map. Yes. But that almost feels like a little bit, well, we'll get into it. I mean, that's it's certainly reductive, but I think it definitely introduced her to the U.S. a lot more than her other stuff did. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting to me. It's like, I mean, the music video for that song is insane, too, because it's just like her face and she's just like so emotional and stuff. And then you're like, this was a song that was like super, it's like. It's like a pop song, but because she is, like, her, the presence that she has is just so, like, wounded, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it gives it, I don't know, she just has, like, a way of making it feel emotional in a way that I think another vocalist might not. Um, and I wish that there was a version of that, because Prince never released it. He recorded it with the family. Yeah, and then they never released it. And apparently he and Sinead O'Connor met, and they did not get along, so... According to the Wikipedia, they got into a fist fight. Wait, what? <laughs> really? Yeah, that's the, the Wikipedia uh, says, speaking about her relationship with Prince in an interview with Norwegian station NRK in uh, November 2014, she said, I did meet him a couple times. We didn't get on at all. In fact, we had a punch up. He summoned me to his house after nothing compares to you. I made it without him. I'd never met him. He summoned me to his house, and it's foolish to do this to an Irish woman. He said he didn't like me saying bad words in interviews, so I told him to fuck off. He got quite violent. I had to escape out of his house at five in the morning. He packed a bigger punch than mine. In, two, in a 2004 interview with Graham Norton, O'Connor claimed that the story was much exaggerated by the press and referred to him as a sweet guy. But uh, that's fucking wild. Yeah. I don't know how much of that I believe. Fair. No, but I would love the, but I love conceptually the idea of Prince fighting someone because he didn't like a cover that they did, which actually is not entirely off brand for Prince because I still think that he was pretty sure that the internet was going to steal his soul. So he had some ideas. Get in the ring with me, Sinead O'Connor. I did hear a song recently that someone was at a mall in Minneapolis and they saw Prince and they just like blurted out, oh, you are short. And he goes, bitch, fuck off. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can see yes. them having had a verbal altercation, but yeah, that's true. Yeah, that they actually had a um, a, uh, a physical fight. But and, and if he, if he was going to throw a punch, he'd probably have Morris Day or Jerome throw it for him. Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, I feel like with Sinead O'Connor, we're dealing with a slightly unreliable narrator. So that's fair. Oh yeah. You know. Um, but getting into the album just a little bit. So the, f- the first track is called Feel So Different. So it's like, okay, I feel so different now that something about me has changed. And it opens with the serenity prayer. <laughs> yeah, it's a very dramatic way to open a record. Yeah, it's like, it's like welcome to my super normal pop album. 
I am not like I was before. I thought nothing could change me. I was not listening anymore. Still, you continue to affect me. And the whole thing, I mean, it's like, it's like a really dramatic opening to an album. Then the second track is a Celtic funk adaptation of a translation of a 17th century poem that was originally written in Irish Gaelic. It has a really sick drum beat. <laughs> sick drum beat. Also, again, another thing where you're like, oh, super normal album that we're, we're going through here. Uh, then we have a soft ballad about being a mom. So whatever, it's fine. Um, and then we have the song about how fame fucked her up called Hemper's New Clothes. Um, which is, which was a single. Then we have another song called Black Boys on Mopeds, which is one of my favorite, uh, entries in the many songs that name Margaret Thatcher by name, because there are so <laughs> many of them there. Are, and then there are some that just imply her. I mean, well, you know what? Every single one, every single one's fucking deserved. Fuck Margaret yeah. Thatcher. That's yeah. the official statement of this show. I know. I, Yeah. It opens with Margaret Thatcher, like her her name is the first lyric, but yeah, because it's yeah. like you have stand down Margaret. Um, then there's like you know a town called Malice that doesn't name her, but um, yeah, there's so many songs that name Margaret Thatcher. Like fuck you, Maggie, but no. So so yeah, there's a song about English racism, and then we get nothing compares to you, and the album shifts a lot. Um, but yeah, I just think it's like such an interesting kind of like radically weird album after having such a like you know commercially successful album to just be like and I think this kind of points the fact that like she has like maybe like no business sense because like I don't think it sold as well um and you know it was just like why you it's it's kind of a crazy thing to do um but you know um but it did get named the second best album of the year it very much feels like a like the kind of album you would make in your mid twenties if you were kind of fucked up early on. Uh, like it's it's very like very dramatic and just all these like big swings about big things. Yeah, in a way that's re that's really interesting, uh, both musically and uh, lyrically. Yeah, I mean the lyrics too. It's like all of the lyrics on the songs are very confessional. And interesting. I mean, the last day of our acquaintance is about divorce. Like, how many songs are written about divorce? Like, I don't know. Most mountain goat songs. I guess that's Fair. true. But like, uh, I just feel <laughs> like I, I, I don't think in the early '90s, like a lot of pop artists like wrote songs about like signing divorce papers. Oh yeah, no, and for sure at the time, I just wanted to make a mountain goat yeah. joke. <laughs> the Traveling Wilburys weren't writing divorce ballads. No. Jump in the Jump in the River is another one that I think is like it's like a very sex positive like and kind of, you know, she got a lot of guff for not being sexy too, but um Oh yeah, she had well, I know Madonna attacked her in like a big way because at the same time Madonna was promoting sex and erotica and yeah. like and so and she was making and Madonna was saying she was also, you know, she was making all these comments about like Sinead O'Connor being like as sexy as a lawnmower. And like looking like she dressed like Venetian blinds, and there's some there's some quotes. I don't know if it was at the time or later, but I've definitely damn. seen some quotes of her damn. being like, you know, Madonna was like what women in the U.S. looked up to, and like she was out there doing all these amazing things for feminism, and then turning around and attacking me 
she was like and it was just such a like shitty dichotomy (laughs) yeah it's it's weird because it's like yeah i i almost think too it's like because you know our sort of like aesthetic ideals are so different than they were in the early 90s that like a woman with a shaved head isn't that like radical so i'm not like oh my god how weird yeah we've had them on the show yeah we're not like oh my god but you know i guess it was like more of a big deal um but and we can get to the the so if we can we can get to the because i think that the the real madonna uh so so the the madonna counterattack to the snl thing i mean so yeah, it's. I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll do the summary of that if you want. I, I, mean, I, I can do it. Yeah, but it's like so. Yeah, I, I, I agree that it's it's blown out of proportion. But at the time, I mean, I, I understand. I mean, I think the thing about I understand it, people's reaction, but I don't think that she. I don't think that the abuse that she suffered because of it was okay. Yeah. No, and I think the thing is like at the time. So I guess for viewer for listeners just to contextualize this conversation that we're having um so in 1992 Shannon O'Connor was the musical guest on Saturday Night Live and instead of performing something from her album she was like no I want to sing Bob Marley's War acapella and change out uh fight the real enemy um mentioning sexual abuse as opposed to racist abuse or something she said it was about child trafficking and when she did it in the rehearsal she held up a photo of a refugee child yes but then when she did it on live air she held up a picture of the pope and she ripped up the picture to dead silence and everyone freaked out and this is also contextually for those who don't remember the 90s or don't remember the specifics of the 90s this was several years before the um all the the Boston story came out and the church made a public acknowledgement of abuse. But it had been coming out in Ireland. It had it had been coming out in Ireland, but I'm saying in the US on Saturday Night Live in New York, this was not a huge story. This was a thing that was still whispered about. It wasn't in the news. It wasn't something that was like the church had acknowledged. Like this was this was still a couple years before the church was going to like actually be on the world stage about it. (laughs) So in, I mean, in 2021, I think now people are like, I understand why someone would hate the Catholic church. But at the time people were like, Oh my God, Pope John Paul, why would you do that? Yeah. At the time it was still rumors at the time. It was still whispers and rumors. It wasn't on the front page of the Boston Globe. Yeah. It just seemed completely insane that she would ever do that. And so, um, you know, the following week, Joe Pesci hosted and he like apparently like taped the photo back together and then said that he would have given her a smack, which is horrible. Um, I mean, Joe Pesci is famously known for being female forward. Yes. Um, and then she was booed off stage at Madison Square Garden, Sinead O'Connor, and I think she was performing at a Bob Dylan tribute concert. And then uh, Madonna then when she was on SNL as a um, musical guest, she then like, I guess as like a fuck you to Sinead O'Connor held up a picture of Joey Buttafuoco, which is a nice like 90s throwback. I only remember him as a reference on news radio. So he was an auto body shop owner who like had a sexual relationship with this girl 
who was in high school who then shot his wife and it was like a tabloid thing on Long Island. Anyway, so she held up a picture of Joey Buttafuoco and said, fight the real enemy and tore it up. It was like, ha ha ha. And like, like I'm making fun of this like real thing that is actually yeah it was it was it was shitty that's what I'm saying Madonna like in particular as like the number one pop pop female pop star in the world like for some reason took personal offense to Sinead O'Connor and spent a lot of the early 90s being incredibly shitty to this actual child <laughs> yeah and it's like you know Madonna was also young too she also didn't know what the fuck she was doing yes Madonna was young. And I think, like, one thing that I'm sort of, I don't know if either of you guys watched the Britney Spears documentary, but, like, um, one thing that, like, is really striking to me is, like, I think the way that, like, I mean, obviously, like, we are, pop culture is still really sexist and misogynist, but, like, it used to be a lot worse, (laughs) you know? And, like, the 90s and the early 2000s, like, just the expectations of, like, women and the way that they act and react to things where there was like just such a double standard um of like decorum and um just like sort of an impossible way to be you know and I think like you have someone like Sinead O'Connor who is from a very troubled background who does struggle with mental illness who is very creative who was given no slack you know and so it's like she was basically sort of treated as like this weird freak, I think in a way that probably wouldn't happen today. Um, I, maybe I'm wrong, but, um, it would probably happen in a different way. Yeah. I also think it's like, you know, for all the people like, I, you know, I think this sort of phrase like cancel culture, it's like, I take, I hold up Sinead O'Connor as like an example of someone who was canceled unfairly. And it's like, this has been happening forever to women and, you know, people of color and gay people getting canceled because culture is unfair. Like, I'm sorry, Republicans, that you are also getting, you know, a little taste of that. I mean, they, it's like the, the Dixie Chicks are still in jail 20 years later for, oh my God. A, yeah. for opposing the Iraq War. The Iraq War, which they were 100% correct. Yep. Like, that's still so insane to me that they, like... Yeah. And that's also why, because there are some country artists that you're, like, pretty sure are Democrats, but they just will not say. Um, Like, do you know who Dwight Yoakam is? Yeah. Yeah, like, he, like, used to go on The Daily Show and stuff, and, like, I'm like, I'm like, dude, like, if you could come out and, like, be a Democrat without fucking up your career, you totally would, like... (laughs) Every time I get into a a, a new uh, weird, like... 70s outlaw country person i go to their wikipedia and i'm like please don't be a republican shithead please don't be a republican shithead and it thankfully hasn't happened too much the the worst turn was uh finding out that uh mike nesmith from the monkeys is a huge republican shithead oh that's Hmm, weird yeah took that last train to cucksville (laughs) (laughs) Um, i got i got half of you to laugh hmm. so that was fine all right. Um, <laughs> huh. So what what is it about this this album that appeals to you, like, sonically, like, musically? Well, she has an incredible voice, so there's that. And it's pretty, um, as someone who has a deep voice, it is, she has a deep enough voice that I can sing along, so that's great. 
Um, she's definitely an alto, so awesome that. And it's it's a song about like big feet. The songs are all about like big feelings too. Like it's not like there's not there's not a track on this album that's like I kind of feel a little bit this way. Everything is like there is something happening and it's very serious. Like sure, <laughs> um, just full tilt. For yeah, it's full one. tilt and it's like symphonic and really committed. Yeah, and it's just it just is like it has a very like I I think um I think probably the most interesting one song. I mean, obviously nothing compares to you is like I I, I know it's a cover, but I think it's the best one on the album cuz Prince is I mean, sorry, but like Prince plus Sinead O'Connor. It's just, it's just the best, but like, yeah, that's fair. The, of originals. I, I think black boys on mopeds is my favorite because it takes, it's like these really like insightful lyrics and, you know, like I think with like a lesser artist, it would just feel like this kind of like trite protest song, but it doesn't, it feels very much like she's like, I don't want my kids to live in England because England is racist and I love my kids. You know, and like I have yeah. strong feelings. I have strong feelings about it. It's not that hard to go to Ireland and find someone who hates the English. I know. But the point of what I'm trying to make is like it's not like a deadly do like earnest protest song. It's like you get the feeling that like it's it's like a full throated like it could be a love song. Like it's like there's just so much like she just sings everything with like that level of like I have feelings so much feeling you know and that's what i love about it so we were listening to some of her stuff earlier before we recorded and the thing i said that like her music is beautiful her voice is beautiful but i think that for me one of the reasons i have difficulty connecting with some of her songs and i i think some of her early stuff in particular is and maybe this is a product of her youth but i feel like it's very on the nose and I'm not saying that you can't say things that are on the nose or that it's not important to say things as they are and how you feel them but for me it's almost like a musicality thing not what she's saying I'm just like I don't know I could use a little more metaphor I don't think a song is necessarily good just because you're being like women are disrespected women are disrespected it's very on the nose and I'm gonna tell you that women are disrespected uh like okay yes but are there prettier ways we can say it but that's just me as like a musical person that's why like her her music doesn't do a lot for me because it feels very young but it was very young yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I feel about her first album, The Lion and the Cobra, I think is like kind of boring that way. I think she has a little more artistry in this album. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm, 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 I guess what I'm really getting at is that I think I enjoy her music more as she gets older. I think her early stuff is just very on the nose. I mean, and I don't love any of her stuff. I, I just, yeah. I, I think some of the stuff that feels very young, it's very indicative and I think it's very important and I think it's cool that she said all that stuff. But I think for me, I'm just like, I, I don't know, when I was 21, it was great. But now that I'm not 21, I'm like, it's fine. Yeah, but I think the <laughs> thing about this, this album to me, it's like, you know, she was, she was like 24, but she's like been yeah. through like a fucking war, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, she was like, I have just been through the washing machine of fame and divorce and, like, having three kids. Two kids. Like, I am, I am so done. Yeah, she had her third and fourth kid in the 2000s. 
Yeah, she's just like, I am done pretending to give a shit. And that's like... And she had an abortion in 91, which I know got written into uh, her next album. I'm, I'm sure society was stoked about that for her. <laughs> well, I don't think it was like super public, but she wrote a song about it. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I, I try, like, I, with some artists, you know, it's like, like, for example, I, I really like, um, I don't know, like, do you, this is like a very different example, but like, the band, I like the band, like, the band Skinny Puppy, do you guys ever, this is like very no, different. I think I oh, often confuse oh. them with Snarky Puppy. But. Okay, so there's this, like, industrial band Skinny Puppy, and there's, like, one album of theirs I really like, and I just, like, cannot listen to anything else that they've done. And, like, with her, I'm, like, this is kind of, like, the one album that I have gotten into, and, like, the rest of it I just have a hard time. And I think it's because I think the emotional place that this is written from is just very clear. It's, like, it's just, like, it's, like, I just went through something really crazy. I want to tell you about it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, oh, I definitely have. I definitely have musicians that like. I like one of their albums, and then the rest of it I don't care about. Yeah, exactly. Th- this record reminds me a lot of uh, the Sunset Tree by the Mountain Goat. So I know I've come up a, a couple times over the, the course of the show, uh, both today and in the past, um, which is just a very direct album about his experiences uh with his abusive stepfather and it's like it's it's very similar with like a lot of like big emotions and just like big things being said in pretty much all of the the tracks um only that one tends to be on a more like intimate level than rather than like big worldwide things it's more like big swings about like particular aspects of the experience of of an abusive up, upbringing um but yeah they they these i can see these two kind of scratching a similar itch of just like wanting to just like sometimes you just need to listen to something that's full of big feelings you know yeah you're just like i just i just want someone to be like ah <laughs> yeah you know like feel so different you're just like the whole time it was inside me. <laughs> well, I'm I'm fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like you know, and then just yeah, I mean, obviously the the best song on this album is nothing compares to you because it's you know it's it's a great it's a classic song. But yeah, I just feel like sometimes people are like, oh, Sinead O'Connor, that that crazy lady, and you're like, you should you should listen to her. She's actually, she's pretty good. Yeah. She's not so much crazy as just has seen some shit. Yeah. I mean, you know, she does struggle with mental illness. And I know that, well, it's not used a crazy word, but um, she is controversial. And I won't downplay that some of the things that she has said are controversial, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. So she is a supporter of United Ireland, which is not uncontroversial, and then she has also uh, said that the Irish Republic shouldn't exist and it should be replaced with another country. And she's converted to Islam and then she changed her name twice. And then she said she is a Christian. There's just, there's just a lot. There's a lot going on. Yeah. She changed her name to Magda Davitt, I believe. 
Yeah, she did, but then she changed her name again after she converted to Islam. But she still records and performs under Sinead O'Connor. Yeah. Although there's like some speculation that she's a little agoraphobic. Like, I don't, I don't know. I think the way you said earlier that like she she's kind of the most unreliable narrator of her own life in a way is kind of interesting. Yes. Because <laughs> yeah. a lot of her statements really contradict one another. Um, but it, it, hey, we're all allowed to do that but most of us don't have to most of us don't have to grow and contradict ourselves while also in the public eye <laughs> um interestingly uh there's an alternate so you know how sometimes like on wikipedia there's like for the other person with this name click this link so there's another Sinead o'connor is a fictional character from the british channel 4 soap opera hollyoaks that's <laughs> <laughs> not who i'm talking about now was now did that now did that character ever rip up any pictures of uh whoever the Pope is on that show? I don't believe so. Look, I think if someone ripped up a picture of the Pope right now, they would get some blowback. It just wouldn't be as big of a deal. Oh yeah, no, not at all. Like people would be like, Okay, that was not great, but I know why they did it, you know? Yeah. I mean also like we have to I think like like people thought Pope John Paul was like the saint, was like a saint. Like people loved him. Yeah. Too. Like, I don't think that, like, people, like, for some reason think that the current. I think they did canonize him, didn't they? Did they? I don't know. Um, I don't know. But, like, the last pope before this current pope, like, everyone thought was, like, a creepy weirdo. And then, like, the current he looked pope. like, like Gollum. Like, yes, he did. And he had that, like, weirdly handsome, like, assistant. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I don't think <laughs> I ever saw him. Uh, yeah, the, there was like a lot of Vanity Fair articles that were like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, yeah. and then, um, uh, and then the current Pope, for some reason, Republicans don't like him because he's like, climate change exists. Yeah, it, because he said climate change exists, birth control is fine, and people should be equal. And so people are mad at him. Oh, he said birth control is fine? Holy shit. Yes. Damn, yeah. he's taking the he's taking the church into the twenty first century, and people are mad about it. Well, I guess. Oh my god! But like, the point I'm trying to make is like, no one, no pope has been as like universally beloved as Pope John Paul. Um. So before we we wrap up, are there any other artists that kind of scratch a similar itch for you uh, that you might want to recommend? Like a big feelings thing. I mean, I've been listening to a lot of Emmy Lou Harris. Sure. Oh, she's great. Uh, this quarantine. And I feel like a lot of her songs are very evocative in a similar way. Um, she definitely, I almost feel like she's emotionally manipulative um, but in a good <laughs> way. <laughs> sure. It's like, God damn it. Um, Bruce Springsteen, too. I mean, I know like. Oh, totally. I don't think sonically he is similar to Sinead O'Connor at all, but I think he's oh, very no. much like, I've got feelings and I want to sing about them. Like, he's very much that <laughs> yep. kind of, like, I don't hold back. It's very much all out there. I would like to hear Sinead O'Connor's cover of Born uh, Born to Run, though. Oh, my God. That would be so good. <laughs> uh, quick interjection here. Because um, I, I went to look up the guy's name. It's it's Paolo Gabriel. Do you know he died last year at 54? The Wait, hot what? assistant. Yeah. No, I thought his name was Georg. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of a different guy. I'm thinking of the guy who was his butler. It was his butler, and he was the one in, like, the Vatty Leaks papers. No, his name is Georg Gunsvein. Oh, okay. Different guy. Different guy. Um... And he, I believe he's still alive. 
I'll I'll text Brandon a picture. Okay, Google, who was the Pope's sexy sexy assistant? I mean, he's not sexy by normal standards. He's sexy by like normal person standards. <laughs> I can hear Google. I can hear Google talking about it. Thanks, Google. Well, I, this is. I'm sending you a link to the other guy that I was talking about, but no, the guy from the like, um, the leaked internal papers and the Vatty Leaks scandal. But he died oh. last year, apparently. Oh, I see. Oh yeah, I guess he's hot for a. I guess he's hot for a, a church guy. You know, a church, a church, a church ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a church ten, which is like an LA six. I mean that's pretty generous, but you know, like an LA four. But I didn't want yeah. to be cruel. A Vatican ten is a oh man, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna be banned Vatican from 10 something. A, yeah. Oh. Uh, well, Jordan, you're you're always gonna be a Vatican ten in our hearts. Uh, thank you for. <laughs> that's so terrible. <laughs> I really just love that the Vanity Fair cover, the Vanity Fair cover that this guy appeared on, on the cover of Vanity Fair Italy, also has a uh, headline about Gangnam Style and the Osbournes. <laughs> Wild. Well, uh, Jordan, thank you so much for uh, joining us thank today. Thank you for having this, me. This journey of discovery. It's been a delight. That we've all been on. Um, if if our listeners wanted to take a, a journey of discovery, uh for more of your content online, how could they do that? Uh, my sketch team, Hot City, we have a show on the um, the Pack Theater's Twitch stream the first Sunday of every month at 8 p.m. Sort of like how we had a uh, real live life sketch show uh, at the Pack Theater every Sunday at 8 p.m., which hopefully will resume before I die. Um, so, yeah, you should check us out there. We're getting there. People are getting vaccines. That's really what I'm into right now. Everybody, yeah. go get vaccinated if you can. It's the fucking yeah. Wild West out here. I had a whole ass thing about it the other day. Vaccines. But go get a vaccine if you can. Let's get our Dolly Parton vaccines. There's there's mm-hmm. one in one. In, I mean, at this point, we've reached the point where like one in three people in L.A. are vaccinated, which is great. You know, we're down to like only like 10 percent ICU beds are filled and like so it's because they're poking nine to five. <laughs> it's going much better here in california than it was but um i i think a lot of us who live here are just really apprehensive because like they kept opening things and like oh we've fooled us once you know we're like look you you told us before it's fine and it wasn't but this time it actually seems like we're getting there i think it's also just it's hard to explain to people like it was literally just two months ago that things were like really dire here yeah, so two months just... ago they had to list the they had to lift the restrictions on cremations because they had too yeah. many people to burn yeah so it's like hard to be like oh it's fine now yeah but yeah it's been a really fast turnaround here the vaccine has like really changed the game but um we're all a little apprehensive about it but um, i mean look yeah. i'm returning to work at a gym right now like and people are like are you nervous and i'm like not particularly everybody's required to wear a mask and you know it's fine so yeah yep all right get vaccinated wash your hands yeah. people Yay. pretty much don't pick your nose uh, brandon <laughs> where can people find you yeah uh people can find me all over the internet and it's various hell sites uh at hell yes brandon uh ink blot has 
some shit on SoundCloud uh, and YouTube. Um, we're about to start rehearsing again uh, because, hey, maybe we could play a show this year. Who knows? Um, you can find uh, We Never Should Have Banged at brandonbeck.bandcamp.com. Uh, my EP will because we've we've recorded the last like months worth of shows in about three days. Um, I keep saying that my EP is probably going to drop in early April. Um, I have no way of knowing that because it's still mid March. Um, but hopefully my EP will be out by now or soonish. Uh, which you'll also be able to find at brandonbeck.bandcamp.com. It's called Hat on a Hat. Um, and I think that's I think that's it for for me. Beth, what about you? Uh, yeah, you can find me all over the internet at at bscores with an underscore at the end, but the easiest way to find me is to follow the podcast online. You can follow us at at IntuitPod on Twitter, at hashtag IntuitPod on Instagram, uh, and you can find us at I Think You'd Be Into It on Facebook if you get any mileage out of that. Um, thank you, as always, to Kaylin West and Tiny Stills for the use of our theme song. Starting Over is a lot like giving up off the album, Falling is Like Flying. I don't have anything to promote. Uh, I'm staying in until work comes back, but hopefully soon. If we get to do shows again soon, then maybe I'll get to go back to work. Hopefully. That's it. Did, That's all I got. Did you do the theme song? I did the theme song. Okay. There were so many words involved in me talking about the theme song. I said all of them. That's that's true. I I, I, uh, I got lost. Spaced staring. out for a second there. I, yeah, I spaced out staring at uh, that. Gorgeous George? Uh, not Gorgeous George. Um, The the Vatty Leaks guy. It was Yeah, right? In, I just that. <laughs> That uh, I am was up on my screen, and I was just like, "What a weird group of people." <laughs> um, so Jordan, uh, thank you so much for for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure as always. Um, so yeah, all that being said, podcast over. <laughs>